Hello and welcome to Books by Old Dead Guys, episode 73. I'm Scott. And I'm David. And we are walking through Thomas Brooks' Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices today. And we are, uh, we started a new section uh, last time we were together, which was uh, things that, that the enemy does to keep us from holy duties, as Brooks says it. So why don't you break down for us where we've been, David? Yeah, so we started with the very first device that Satan uses to keep us from heavenly duties. Uh, and that is by uh, making the world look beautiful. You know, that he, the, the, the evil one, uh, makes the world look enticing, makes the world look uh, pleasurable in order that holy things might look less enticing and less pleasurable. And so we went through... Uh, seven different remedies on how to uh, combat uh, this device of the evil one. Uh, and we're about to hit the eighth and final remedy before we move on to the next device. Well, there you go. Scott. Remedy eight. We ready? Yep. Let's do it. The eighth remedy against this device of Satan is solemnly to consider of the dignity of the soul. Oh, the soul of man is more worth than a thousand worlds. It is the great abasing of it that can to let it dote upon a little shining earth, upon a little painted beauty and faded glory, when it is capable of union with Christ, of communion with God, and of enjoying the eternal vision of God. Seneca could say, I am too great and born to greater things than that I should be a slave to my body. Oh, do you say my soul is too great and born to greater things than I should confine it to a heap of white and yellow earth? I have been the longer upon the remedies that may help us against this dangerous device of Satan because he doth usually more hurt to the souls of men by this device than he doth by all other devices. For a close, I wish, as once Chrysostom did, that that sentence, Ecclesiastes 2.11, then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit. And there was no profit under the sun were engraven on the doorposts into which you enter, on the tables where you sit, on the dishes out of which you eat, on the cups out of which you drink, on the bedsteads where you lie, on the walls of the house where you dwell, on the garments which you wear, on the heads of the horses on which you ride, and on the foreheads of all them whom you meet, that your souls may not, by the beauty and bravery of the world, be kept off from those holy and heavenly services that may render you blessed while you live, and happy when you die, that you may breathe out your last into his bosom who lives forever and who will make them happy forever that prefer Christ's spirituals and eternals above all temporal transitory things. Mm. So his, his last remedy against this device of the evil one is to really, is to really consider your own soul. Yep. To really consider, do, do you want to commit your soul to things that are temporary, that are mm. pointless, mm. that are meaningless? Mm. Or would you rather commit your soul to things that are eternal? Yeah, Lord forbid. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. That have uh, value in eternity, mm. not just in this life. Man, you know, I think it was, I think it was, don't, don't quote me or Lewis, because I'm about to quote Lewis, but I'm not sure that it, Lewis said it here. 
C.S. Lewis, I think it's mere Christianity, where he says one of the great mistakes of humanity is that we think that we are bodies with a soul, but in reality, we are souls with a body, Mm. right? That the soul is eternal and lasting and that this is going to be faded and recreated, new heavens and the new earth. It's not that the body is not worth anything. It's that this body and this world is fading, but God's kingdom is eternal. And we get that twisted. We spend so much time Mm. thinking about the physical that we don't stop to consider the value of the human soul. And yet the human soul is of such value that God in his infinite wisdom saw fit to send his own son to come to redeem the souls of men. It must be of exceeding value if the very son of God would die to provide redemption for us. Yes. Yes. Man. And so we we undervalue our own souls yep. when we refuse, when we are enticed to commit those things to this world rather than to commit our souls to Christ and his work. And make no mistake, that's what this world wants. Yes. I mean, he's, he says, I've spent longer upon the remedies of this device mm-hmm. because the evil one uses this device more than all the other devices. Because we're so nearsighted. Yeah. Right. It's so easy for us to just think about today, for us to just think about what's in front of us, for us to just think about, you know, today's work and today's problems and, you know, the, the worry, the worries and cares of this world yeah. that we can just forget the fact that we're built for eternity. Yeah. You know, that as Augustine said, we're, we're built for eternity and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in thee. Mm-hmm. And what what Brooks has been hidden at this whole time is part of what it means for us as the Christian to find our rest in Christ now is to engage in these, as he calls them, holy duties. These, mm. these labors of love, if you will, that for the love of Christ, we do pour ourselves out for the sake of the gospel. That we do get involved in a local church and be committed to a body of believers. That we do um, forsake some worldly pleasures so that we may hold on more tightly to eternity. That's what he's after. And it's so tempting for us to do that because we're just nearsighted folk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's good. All right. So second device. Second device. Here's the second device that Satan hath to draw the soul from holy duties and to keep them off from religious services is by presenting to them the danger, the losses, and the sufferings that do attend the performance of such and such religious services. By this device, Satan kept those that believed on Christ from confessing of Christ. In John 12, 42, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also, many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. I would walk in all the ways of God. I would give up myself to the strictest way of holiness, but I am afraid Dangers will attend me on the one hand and losses and happily such and such sufferings on the other hand, said many a man. Mm. Oh, how we should keep ourselves against this temptation and device of Satan. Yes. So the second way that Satan tempts us and draws us away from holy duties, things that we ought to be doing, is by putting before our face what it would cost to do those things, Mm -hmm. what we would miss out on if we did those things, or what would come to us if we did those things. So we're off by, what, a week from the sermon texts Mm -hmm. each week? So as we do this, we either just preached Exodus 3 or we are two weeks from Exodus 3, and I can't get my mind which one is right. We just preached it. Okay, yeah. So, So in that text, 
you know, we get to the end of the sermon, we're talking about Moses and Moses gives these five objections to why he can't serve, why he can't do what God's telling him to do. But the fifth one, he really doesn't give much reason other than God, please send somebody else. But the short version of it is, I don't want to, mm. right? I mean, you can imagine being Moses, right? Like you're a shepherd in Bidian. Things are pretty cool. You've been there 40 years. you got this awesome wife named Zipporah and a son named Gershom and this big flock. Everybody's happy. Life is comfortable. And God says, I need you to go to Egypt. I don't need you. I want you to go to Egypt. And that place where you murdered a guy. Yeah. By the way, go talk to the most powerful man in the world. Oh, by the way, the guy that really wanted to see you dead. I want you to go talk to him. Tell him to let all of these slaves go at great economic cost to him mm-hmm. so that they can go out and worship me in the wilderness. That's what I need you to do, Moses. And, and you know, you can hear Moses going, mm, but I don't want to. I, I mean, you know, I, I love it because at the end of the day, that's really the excuse that most often people really mean mm. when we come up with all these other excuses about why we can't do, as Brooks calls them, holy duties. Yeah. We really just don't want to. There is a cost involved in these things. And so I love that he's pulling this out, that, that this is what happens, is that the enemy says, wait a minute, if you obey here, like if you really do this, look at what it's going to cost you. Yeah. And that's it. You know, we, we consider the field, as Jesus would say, and then we walk away from the field yep. because it seems like it's too expensive. Yep. All right. So here's the remedies to this thing. We've identified the problem. Let's at least get the first remedy. The first remedy against this device of Satan is to consider that all the troubles and afflictions that you meet with in a way of righteousness shall never hurt you. They shall never harm you. And who is he that shall harm you if you be followers of that which is good, saith the apostle, that is, none shall harm you. Natural conscience cannot but do homage to the image of God stamped upon the natures, words, works, and life of the godly as we may see in the carriage of Nebuchadnezzar and Darius towards Daniel. All afflictions and troubles that do attend men in a way of righteousness can never rob them of their treasure, of their jewels. They may rob them of some light, slight things as the sword that is by their side or the stick in their hand or of the flowers or ribbons that be in their hats. The treasures of a saint are the presence of God, the favor of God, Union and communion with God, the pardon of sin, the joy of the spirit, the peace of the conscience, which are jewels that none can give but Christ, nor none can take away but Christ. Now, why should a gracious soul keep off from a way of holiness because of afflictions when no afflictions can strip a man of his heavenly jewels, Mm. which are his ornaments and his safety here and will be his happiness and glory hereafter? Why should that man be afraid or troubled for storms at sea whose treasures are sure in a friend's hand upon the land? Why a believer's treasure is always safe in the hands of Christ? His life is safe, his soul is safe, his grace is safe, his comfort is safe, and his crown is safe in the hand of Christ. I got to slow down. I'm going to start preaching in a second. Mm-hmm. I know him in whom I have believed, and that is able to keep that which I have committed unto him until that day, saith the apostle in 2 Timothy 1.12. The child's most precious things are most secure in his father's hands. So are our souls our graces and our comforts in the hand of Christ. Mm. Praise the Lord. So his, his first remedy is to consider 
that none of the troubles and afflictions that come to us when we are doing what Christ has commanded us to do will actually take away the things that should be most precious to us. Yeah. That the things which are truly treasured by believer by believers, the presence of God, the comforts of Christ, the the crowns that he gives will not be stripped away by obeying him. I love it. Man, I love it. The, the, and I love his comparison that the things that are taken away from the Christian are like like flowers in his hat. Wood, hay, and stubble. Yeah, I mean, that's what Paul calls them, right? Yeah. I mean, it, these, these are the, those are the things that aren't going to last anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Temporary, fleeting yeah. things. Yeah. Oh, man. That's good. Woo. Okay. All right. Let's hit number two. The second remedy against this device of Satan is to consider that other precious saints that were shining lights on earth and are now triumphing in heaven have held on in religious services, notwithstanding all the troubles and dangers that have surrounded them. Nehemiah and Ezra were surrounded with dangers on the left hand and on the right. And yet, in the face of all, they held on building the temple and the wall of Jerusalem. So Daniel and those precious worthies under the want of outward encouragements and in the face of a world of very great discouragements, their souls clave to God and his ways. Though they were sore broken in the place of dragons, they cowered with the shadow of death. Yet though they were all the day long counted as sheep for the slaughter, yet their hearts were not turned back, neither did their steps decline from his ways. Though bonds and imprisonments did attend Paul and the rest of the apostles in every place, yet they held on in the work and service of the Lord. And why then should you degenerate from their worthy examples, which is your duty and your glory to follow? Mm. So he looks back to the examples of those we see in Scripture who, upon seeing what the Lord had called them to do, upon realizing and experiencing the trouble that came upon them for doing what the Lord called them to do, still considered it worthy mm. to do mm. what the Lord said. Mm-hmm. That that Daniel being thrown into the lion's den, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the fiery furnace, yep. that Nehemiah and Ezra literally having people all around Jerusalem wanting them dead. Yeah, Paul. Paul the apostle being thrown in prison, yep. being being beaten and shipwrecked yeah. and near death yeah. time after time after time, still counted it worthy to obey Christ. And Paul had such a, a view of real treasure that he could take all that stuff we just talked about and call it light and momentary affliction. Yes. That, that is, man, I want that for my life so bad. I don't is, wish I wanted it more. And not only does he not only does he see what what happens in this life as a light and momentary affliction. He looks at what's going, what will happen in the next life, mm. and says, "This isn't. A, this isn't. A it doesn't comparison. compare to the weight of glory. This, this, it's not like it's not like you put it on the balance scales and and the scales, you know, tip in the direction of well, eternity's worth it. No, you you put it on the balance scales and the scales break. Yeah, like it's not even it's not even close. Yep. No. Oh man, it's good. It's so good. Mm. Uh, all right, let's get one more. Let's get three in here. Okay. All right. The third remedy, the third remedy against this device of Satan is solemnly to consider that all the troubles and dangers that do attend the performance of all holy duties and heavenly services are but temporal and momentary 
but the neglect of them may lay thee open to all temporal, spiritual, and eternal dangers. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, says Hebrews 2.3? He saith not, if we reject or renounce so great a salvation, no, but if we neglect or shift off so great a salvation, how shall we escape? That is, we cannot escape by any way or means or device in the world, escape. Divine justice will be above us in spite of our very souls. The doing of such and such heavenly services may lay you open to the frowns of men, but the neglect of them will lay you open to the frowns of God. Mm -hmm. The doing of them may render you contemptible in the eyes of men, but the neglect of them may render you contemptible in the eyes of God. The doing of them may be loss of thy estate, but the neglect of them may be the loss of God, Christ, heaven, and thy soul forever. The doing of them may shut thee out from some outward temporal contents. The neglect of them may shut thee out from that excellent matchless glory that I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of men. Remember this, there is no man that breathes, but shall suffer more by neglecting those holy and heavenly services that God commands, commends, and rewards that he can possibly suffer by doing of them. Mm. So the third, the third remedy is to consider what troubles and uh, what risks and dangers you put upon yourself by neglecting your holy duties. Yep. That my not doing what Christ has commanded us to do, I, I love what he says, that by doing these heavenly things, we may incur the frowns of men, but by not doing them, we incur the frown of God. Mm. Like that. that and that, what, that's what should matter. That's what should matter. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Lord has blessed me with a good boy and, and I, I love him dearly. And I can tell you, if you learn anything as a father, it's that all boys reach an age. I think girls probably do too, but all boys reach an age where they will do almost anything for the approval of their father. Mm. Right. And I see that and I feel that. And it's, it's a heavy thing to keep and to do well. Right. Because the way they react to that to seek that desire of approval really puts them on a spectrum between obedience or disobedience. Right. At some point, you have got to pay attention to your son. He's not going to give you the option to not. It's either going to be because he's disobeying. And so you're constantly against the eight ball or because he's obeying and seeking your approval and handing you things and showing you things and trying to get your attention for things. And that is. That is the warning in a lot of ways that Brooks is putting in front of us, man. God gives us these services and the desire of our hearts should be what the desire of my son's heart is, which is I desire to be pleasing to my father. And if that means that, it, that, that this world rejects me, then this world rejects me, but it's my father that matters. Indeed, It's a good word. Wow, man. Well, thank you for listening, friends. This has been a blast. We hope you have gained from it, that it's been a blessing to you. If you would, uh, would you share this with others who may benefit from this podcast as well? And we will uh, keep going, pressing on, and we will talk again soon. Thank you. Goodbye.